Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. If you're just joining us or you haven't been here in a while, we're going through a campaign called The Story. It's a 31-week journey where we're going through God's Word as a church. Um, Younger ones, middle age, youth, adults, all of us are going through this together. And now if you're just joining, still time to be with us and join with us. We have plenty of copies up here on the front pew, and we'd love you to grab one before you leave. We've given out over 400 copies so far. That's pretty exciting, isn't it, church? If we get 400 people studying and reading God's word together, I promise you he can do amazing things through that. Now, today is going to be a little different. Today, we're going to focus on a key theme of scripture. And if we understand this one key theme of scripture, it'll change the way we understand the Old Testament, the New Testament, and I promise it'll bring everything to life. Now with that comes a warning. Today's gonna be very, very heavy in the teaching. I got a lot of scripture for you, and if you've never heard of these concepts, it's gonna be like drinking from a fire hydrant. Okay, don't have funny stories, and so if this is your first time here, you may leave and say this is the most boring sermon you've ever heard before in your life. I'm going to own that, okay? It just might be, but come back next week. I'll tell double the stories, okay? I'll make it so much better for you. But today, we're going to talk about something very important, but I believe you here at First Baptist Church, I believe you're smart enough to handle it, don't you? Yeah, the reason why you're here is because you're smart. I mean, smart people come to First Baptist Church, okay? And so I think you can handle it. I think you can deal with it. So, so far in the story, let's just sum up what we've learned. So far, we've seen in the beginning, God created what? Yeah, absolutely everything. But we saw he shared this special relationship with man. It says that men and women were created in the image of God, but we chose to sin and the consequences were devastating. We were introduced to this man named Abraham who God made a covenant with, said, hey, I'm going to make a nation through you. Then we learn about his kids, his grandkids, and great-grandkids, all sorts of greats in there. And then all of a sudden we see Israel is under Egypt as slaves, and we see Moses come and rescue them out. You guys remember that? Everybody picture like Charleston Heston, that's his name, right? Yeah, okay. That's what I think of. I've never actually seen that, but I've seen pictures, okay? So... He comes and rescues them out. So that's where we are in the story. That's what we read last week. Now, when they leave Egypt, where do they go? Mount what? It's not, okay, so you've heard of that. Some of you are like, I have absolutely know where they went. That's okay. You may have never heard of this mountain. You may not ever have heard really what happens, but I guarantee you, you've heard of what was given there. Because even if you're not a Christian, even if you've never been in church, you know what was given at Mount Sinai. What was it? All right, 10 commandments. This is where we see the 10 commandments come in to the picture. Now, Christians and Americans, we have an interesting relationship with the 10 commandments, right? If we remove them from a courthouse, if we remove them from a school, what happens? You don't have to answer that. I'm gonna answer it for you. We get all out of whack. It's a new story. We see people picketing to where we, we share this relationship with the 10 commandments. We know they're important, but... You know, most Christians don't know all 10. In fact, I'd I'd venture to guess that most Christians couldn't even tell you where they're in the Bible. Anybody want to guess? Exodus 
Yeah, okay, some of us know. But so it's this weird thing we have with the Ten Commandments. We know they're important. You can't take them out of the schoolhouse, but I don't know them. I don't know where they're at. So today I want to talk about that. Today I want us to understand the Ten Commandments a little bit better because we know where they're important, but we just don't know what to do with them. And I want to fix that. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. So just, again, you got to lean in. You got to pay attention. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. First statement I want us to understand is this, Christians are not under the Ten Commandments, that's the law, because we are not under the Mosaic Covenant. Now, before you walk out and call me a heretic, stay here. I'm going to unpack this, I promise you might understand after listening to the sermon a couple of times, okay? But so far, we've seen God do something, so I'm going to unpack this word covenant. So far, we've seen God make a couple of covenants in the scriptures. We haven't talked about them yet because I was waiting for today. But, but here's a scholarly definition of a covenant. It says a covenant is an arrangement between two parties involving mutual obligations. Now, when we hear covenant, that kind of sounds like a contract, but it's not. A covenant is much deeper. You see, a covenant is where families would swear oaths and family bonds were ratified And there was regulations and legal stuff all mixed in. You see, a covenant is different than a contract. A contract is a promise. Covenants are sworn by oaths. Listen, this is the distinction. Contracts are limited by the terms of exchange of property. This is yours, that's mine. Where covenants involve the exchange of life. I am yours, you are are mine. Contracts are temporary where covenant bonds are permanent, even intergenerational. So here's the thing. If your great-grandfather makes a, signs a contract to buy a car, are you under that? You know this. Like, There's no trick here. If your great-grandfather signs a contract to buy a car, are you under that contract? No. If your great-grandfather made a covenant you would be obligated to keep it because it's an intergenerational family thing. Like if you got into a covenant, it affect everybody. So you didn't take them lightly. They were a really big deal. One scholar says, covenant concepts is a central unifying theme of scripture, establishing and defining God's relationship to man in all ages. Why are we talking about it today? Because it's a central, unifying theme in Scripture. And if we don't understand the covenants, we'll miss a lot of the Bible and a lot of the big ideas. So, covenants aren't a biblical thing. Covenants are an ancient Near Eastern religion. Like, all sorts of people did covenants. But what we see special about a covenant, they're called divine covenants. Anybody want to take a stab at what a divine covenant is? Yeah, where where God makes a covenant. God does something. And so throughout the Bible, we've already seen them. I haven't talked about them yet, but the first one we see is it's um, implicit, not explicit, meaning it's implied, and it's called the covenant of works. This is where God promised Adam and Eve in their state of innocence, right, before sin, that he would give them eternal life based on what? obedience. Remember, don't eat. There was only one command. What was it? 
Don't eat from the tree. If I've lost you already, lean back in. We got a long way to go. All right, Adam and Eve, don't eat the apple. Perfect, eternal life, don't do this. Didn't work out so well for him. Then we see God have another covenant with Noah. Hey, you build this ark. I'm gonna make, he comes to Noah and says, I'm gonna make covenant with you. Make this ark, All right? Saves him from the flood. But what else do we see in that covenant? We see God saying, I'll never what the earth again. Never flood the earth again, right? So we see this covenant. Then we see one made with Abraham. Okay, and this is revealed in several stages, but we see he promised to make Abraham into a great nation. That's Genesis 12. Promised Abraham he'd have a multitude of descendants, Genesis 15. And then he says, here's how you can identify the people of the covenant, circumcision, Genesis 17. This is who identified who belonged. And so this covenant was like the one with Noah's promise of word. God said, I'm gonna do this and these things are gonna happen. Well, today, if you read the story, chapter five, or you are familiar with the story of Moses, 10 commandments, we see God enter in another covenant with his people. We're gonna unpack that in a minute, but before that, there's another one we gotta point out in the Old Testament. Oh, by the way, while we're talking about it, it's the covenant God makes with David. We'll read about it later, but he tells King David that there will be, he makes a covenant, someone's gonna come from you, a great king who will reign forever. If you understand that one idea that there's supposed to be a king come from the line of David, you will understand the genealogies in the New Testament. They're trying to say, hey, by the way, that happened through Jesus. Getting ahead of myself. So remember, divine covenant are central themes found out in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This covenant is, hey, I'm gonna make an arrangement with you. I'm gonna make an agreement. You need to do certain things. Now, what's important to understand is the biblical writers will hang on them, pay attention to them, call on them, and we won't even notice. Remember when Moses went to get the people out of Egypt? He said, tell them the God of your forefathers, Jacob and them, sent you. What's he referring to? The covenant that was made with Abraham. Remember, God entered in with relationship with Abraham. Hey, there's going to be a generation of people come through you. I prom- You're going to be blessed. All this is going to happen. So when God goes, when God tells Moses to go back, he says, hey, the God of your forefathers, that covenant God, the one who made that an agreement. So anytime you see him referring to their ancestors, he's referring to this contract. It's not a contract, but let's call it so we can understand. This contract, this covenantal agreement that God made. They would count on it. They would trust it. God said he was going to do this. We believe him. So let's bring this together with chapter five in the story. We see the Israelites get led from Moses by God to Mount Sinai. They're standing there. God's brought them out. And then all of a sudden, Moses goes up on the mountain. And look at what God says. Exodus 19.3. It says, Moses went to God and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on the wing, eagle's wings and brought you out myself. Let's pause right there. He's saying, I'm the God of your forefathers. You've seen like the water spread. You've seen the plagues. I've brought you out to myself. You following me? I need head nods. So I'll keep, I'll keep repeating myself until I get head nods. Okay. You've seen what I've done. They're like, yes, we know. We've seen what you've done. Look at this next part. It's extremely important. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my, what's that word? 
covenant. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. There's that word we're looking for, covenant. Then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. God says he's going to bless them. He says, although the whole earth is mine, I own everything, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words to speak to the Israelites. Now, this is the covenant being made. These are the terms. If the nation obeys me fully, guess what's going to happen? Then you will be blessed. Then you will be a kingdom, my treasured possession. So what we see here is the idea of corporate blessing and corporate punishment. Who likes corporate punishment? You're like, no, I don't like it. Okay, if you understand corporate punishment, you'll understand the Old Testament. Not just one or two people did bad things. The whole nation would get punished when things weren't going well. So in Exodus 24, you can read it on your own, we see the actual right of the covenant. Covenants were made in, what do you think? I'll tell you, blood. We see the splitting of the animal and we see blood poured out on the altar. Sounds gruesome, I know, but that theme, you need to go, hey, don't I hear about blood and and altar like in the New Testament? Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is how it's being made. The covenant's being established in blood. So, again, I'm repeating myself, but just make sure we're on the same page. Who was this covenant made with? The nation of Israel. Who was this covenant made with? Say it with me. Nation of Israel, okay. So if the nation of Israel obeys him, they would be his treasured possession. Now what are they to obey? What comes right after this? 10 commandments. Well, there's actually 613 now, isn't there? The 10 commandments just start the list. It doesn't end there. Keep reading, it gets heavy, okay? So what they had to obey was the laws God set into place. This started the conversation. So God's talking to a group of people. Hey, I'm going to do something through you. If you obey the laws I'm putting into place. So the idea of treasured possession is that they're going to be blessed. It was their obedience. Now, some things get changed along the way because there's an immediate disobedience. But if you can on your own, write it down, read Deuteronomy 28 today. Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, just stay with me. Deuteronomy is when Moses is dying, he's leaving. There's a generation of people who aren't really sure what happened. It's a couple years later. And so Moses sums up everything that happens with the Israelites in Deuteronomy. He tells them the Ten Commandments again, but he also lists out the blessings and curses. So in Deuteronomy 28, you see this whole section of blessings, and it's amazing. If they listen, all sorts of great things will happen. But if they don't listen, I'm telling you, terrible curses happen. Read it on your own. It's bad. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was their version of scared straight. If you read that one section, you'd be like, you know what? I'm going to do everything. So God, here's the blessings. Here's the curses if you obey. So here's the deal. The covenant was made with Israel. The law to include the Ten Commandments were written for whom? Israel. And they carried the weight of blessings and curses because they are the chosen people of God. They're not for us. 
And this is so important when it comes to reading your Old Testament because you can read the Old Testament, you can pick up on verses and then start getting mad at God for not blessing you. This is what the prosperity gospel, if you've ever heard of that, where the prosperity gospel is, hey, look at this, God will bless you if you do this. They're taking promises made for the nation of Israel and trying to imply them today. It doesn't work like that. The proof is that our Savior was perfect in all ways and was nailed to a cross. The prosperity gospel is not the gospel. The blessings and the prosperity of Israel is not for us. So, while there's many different covenants God has made, this one is one that's very important because it's if you do this, I'll do that. And it's, the law isn't separate from the covenant. The law is the condition of the covenant. This is what the end they got to keep up with. And so here's just a spoiler alert for you. If you've never read the Bible or you haven't, you don't know where this story in the Bible is going. It doesn't end up so well for them. They constantly do their own thing. And we will find out that God is very serious about the blessings and curses. We see that in the Old Testament, right? Very serious about it. What we will see is a nation who completely disobeys God. And when they're in disobedience, God would send these people called the prophets to warn them and say, hey, you better get back on track. You better get back on track. If you don't, guess what's gonna happen? Terrible things. Get back on track. If you've never read the Old Testament, I promise you, people don't like the prophets. Prophets seem rude and harsh until the curses come. Then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, they were right. They were right. So we see the prophets coming, warning them. You'll, you'll read all about this later, I promise. We'll get to it in the story. But then something happens. We see the, the prophets start pointing to something a little different. Look at this with me. Jeremiah 31, it'll be on your screen. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. This is so important. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hands to lead them out of... Hold on, hold on, hold on. What, what's he referring to there? What is the covenant that he made with them after he led them out of Egypt? The covenant, Mount Sinai, the 10 commandments, what we were reading about. He says, the days are coming where I'm gonna do something nude and it will not be like the one I made there because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them. It's his way of saying, I was faithful to them, but they weren't faithful to me. This isn't the New Testament church. This isn't the Hebrew Bible. This is the Old Testament saying that there will be a time when the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai will not be in effect any longer. Something new is happening. Look at Isaiah. The prophet says this. Isaiah 42. It's, it's a passage in Isaiah that's probably heard some of it before, talking about the suffering servant, pointing to a day that somebody's going to come and do something. He says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. Look at this. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people a light to the Gentiles. Hold on. God's gonna make a person a covenant? How, how can God make a person a covenant? 
Like God would make a covenant that people would have to follow, but how can a, the suffering servant, this person who's to come, how can they actually become themselves this covenant? To which we go, oh, 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 gee, yes. Jesus, he is it. Because look, he says, this covenant, um, light to the Gentile, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. That really sounds like that verse that Jesus quotes when he unveils the scroll and they get mad at him. Oh, because it is. This is me, the one who will be a covenant. Again, this isn't New Testament trying to fit in Jesus. This is the Old Testament. It says there's going to be something new. Now, here's the deal with these passages. Nobody actually knew what they meant. It, the people would debate them, the scholars would debate them, the pastors would debate them. They'd split off playing another Hebrew church down the road like Baptists do, right? We're familiar with that, right? We don't agree. I'm going to go down here. We're going to start our own church. So they would have different groups of people believe in different things because prophecies we don't understand until afterwards. Kind of like if you've ever read the book of Revelation. We know something good's going to happen. We just don't have a clue what any of it actually means, right? Some of you are like, well, I went through it. it. You still don't know what it means. Okay, let's be honest. It's Jewish apocalyptic language. It's super hard to grasp. So that's what they would have done with these passages. Hey, we know something's gonna happen, but we don't quite understand it. Just like we believe. That's what prophecies do to us. And so what the New Testament writers are trying to tell us, hang in there, we'll get there, what the New Testament writers are trying to scream at the top of their lungs is that this thing, this person, is Jesus Christ. Writer of Hebrews says, oh, hold on. So let's review real quick. So the Christians are not under the Ten Commandments, which is the law, because we're not under the Mosaic Covenant. Christians are under, next slide, please. Christians are under what? New Covenant. You see, towards the end of Jesus' life, man, I'm telling you some light bulbs are gonna click, watch. Towards the end of Jesus' life, he was sitting with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal during the Passover time. We know what Passover festival is, right? Let's just make sure everybody knows what it is. What's the Passover festival? Okay, I'll tell you. Every year, they would celebrate a time when God passed over the Israelites because of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and he redeemed them from Where? Egypt. Oh, that sounds like the old times. Yeah, yeah, what we just read. Okay, so every year, Israelites, and they still do, they celebrate when they were rescued from Egypt, what we just read. So they're sitting down celebrating this meal with Jesus. And all of a sudden, celebrating the annual festival, Jesus says, and he took the bread, gave thanks to it, broken and said, said to them, this is my body which is given to you for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the, uh-oh, there's our word, new covenant, which is poured out. Even if we don't like the blood language, if you take the blood language out, you miss the entire Old Testament, you miss Jesus. The blood is important because it established the covenant. And what Jesus is saying, my blood's gonna be poured out, will establish this covenant. Now we read this. I read this every time we do communion to remember there's something new. 
But what's important is while this is normal for us, this would have been extremely offensive to them. Because Jesus is equating his blood with the blood of the lamb that saved their ancestors. I mean, how could Jesus' blood be poured out? How could, their, how could Jesus' blood save them like the lamb did when death passed over? I mean, how can Jesus instill a new covenant when the only person who can instill a covenant is God? Like, you can't just undo what God did unless, unless you are. Now we see why Jesus, who he is, and the blood of Jesus, why it all makes sense. Because if you don't believe that, you've missed the Bible. You've missed what he's screaming and trying to teach us. The only one who can override a divine covenant is the divine. And that's what Jesus is doing. You're going, well, Brian, hold on, pay, watch this. Look at Hebrews, Hebrews 7.22. Because of this oath, Jesus has been the guarantor of a better, uh-oh, that sounds offensive. Like the other one was inferior. When you look at the grace and who Jesus Christ is, this is better. There's a better covenant. Look at Hebrews 9, he's not done. He said, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance that now has, he has died as a ransom, his death meant something, to set them free. We're free because of the death of Jesus Christ, the atonement committed under the first covenant. Writer Hebrews is like, hey guys, there's a new covenant. There's a better covenant, something different. The apostle Paul, Paul's too smart. He didn't miss this idea either. And he's trying to explain this to us in so many words that are just kind of hard for us to grasp. Look at this, Romans six fourteen. He said, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the, whoa, 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 Paul. Paul, what do you mean we're not under the law? Yeah, what I said, what's the law? Right. Well, hold on, Paul, you're being a heretic. He can't be. He's the apostle Paul. He wrote the Bible. You're not, you're not under the law, he says, but under, ooh, we're gonna get into something fun now. We're not under the law, church. We're under grace. So the covenant we would call this is the covenant of grace made with Jesus. You see, the book of Galatians, we're gonna walk through one day, but we gotta have a ton of Bible knowledge to walk through Galatians because it is rough if we don't know what we're doing. But I'm going to point out some verses to you. Paul is trying to explain to people that, listen, what Jesus has done is very different. Galatians 3.23 says, before, coming to, before the coming of this faith, we were held under custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. We're in custody until something different would be revealed. So the law was our guardian or babysitter, I mean, that's really what he's saying, until Christ came that we may be justified by faith. Now that the faith has come, that should blow your mind, we are no longer under a guardian. Could it be any more clear, church? We're not under that anymore. He says the law was the guardian. We're no longer under the guardian. It's not for us. That's not who we are. The law was temporary. 
The law was pointing to a day where something different would happen. That's why you don't sacrifice animals any longer. We know kind of. Galatians 3.26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what Paul does is he attaches what Christ has done to the covenant made with Abraham. The law served its purpose. The law had its place. The law did something. But no, what Jesus has done attaches back to what Abraham's covenant was, that all nations would be blessed through them which is why we understand that covenant made to Abraham was Jesus Christ. So now all that comes together. He says, no, no, the law was temporary. It served its purpose. Attach Jesus back to now we all get the promise of God through Abraham because of Jesus. Now, we say, well, Brian, maybe we should keep part of it. Like I like, I like, I like pork, so I'm good with the we can't eat bacon stuff, okay? How about we eat bacon, but maybe we should keep some of the law. Now, the Galatians were trying to do this too. What was happening is they were, people were teaching the Galatian church Christ plus. Jesus plus works. Now out of all the laws they were trying to cling to, they clung to circumcision. Imagine that gospel being preached. You need to believe in Jesus and not just be baptized, but circumcised. Like, you know what? I'm good. All right, but that's what they were clinging to. They're saying you got to be circumcised to be the people plus Jesus. So Paul deals with this. You try to add part of the law to what Jesus has done. Look what he says. He says, "Mark my words, I Paul tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all." Some of us go, "Hey, well, my parents made a decision that has nothing to do with that." Okay, this is people trying to do things to follow the Jewish law. He says, again, I I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Here's why. You who are trying to justify by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope It's wordy, I know, I'll talk about it in a second. He said, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, what Paul says is, remember what the law was for. The law was the way you were made right. The law was the way you stayed in God's graces. The law justified you in God's eyes. So if you're trying to keep part of it, You're neglecting Jesus. In other words, the works of the law kept you in God's good graces. Are you following me? The works that you did under the law kept you in right eyes with God. Do we understand that? The works of Jesus Christ keeps us right with God now. 
So if we're trying to justify our standing with God by our actions, we're trying to justify, justify ourselves based on our works. You can't be made right with God because of your works. We are made right by God because of the works of Jesus Christ. So if you try to keep part of it, Paul says, do the whole thing. Because you're making the grace of God useless. No, 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 no. I'd rather have the grace. What about you? You see, the law was based on your works. Grace is based on his works. Don't put yourself back under that. You're not in that. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, if you were Jewish, some of you may be, or me, we read those blessings and curses. Go home and read it. You're going to go, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on, Brian. Those curses are rough. Maybe I'll just try to do both of them to protect myself just in case. Like, they are terrible. Paul would say, no, listen, Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We've read that probably 100 times. We didn't know what he was talking about. He's talking about the curses that come from not obeying the law. You will be blessed or cursed. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So this idea of God cursing you is an Old Testament thing. In New Testament, he can't because Christ has set us free from that. Christ has taken that. So when we understand the Mosaic Covenant that there was blessings and curses attached, we understand this idea that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse and Jesus, through Jesus, we experience the blessings of God. Those words are cup. Jesus is how we are in a right standing with God. Jesus has taken away the curses. F.C. Finchman says, with the new covenant, the curse of the old Sinaitic covenant is removed by Christ. He became the new Davidic king on the eternal throne. And at once, the old covenant were superseded. The curses of the Sinai covenant were removed and the promise of the Davidic covenant fulfilled. So in summary, we are no longer under the Mosaic covenant. We are under the new covenant initiated by Jesus Christ. If you or I try to put ourselves back under the law, we are neglecting the cross of Jesus Christ and looking towards our morality and our works. You say, well, that's not what I was trying to do, but that's exactly what Paul says you're doing. Don't neglect the grace of Jesus Christ. So, what do we do then? When God made the covenant with Israel, he gave them 10 commands that, you know, 10 commandments, but also, you know, 613. Like, we don't, we don't memorize those ones. They're a lot so what does it mean? It, does that mean if Christ gave us a new covenant, there's a new command? Like a new set of rules to follow? I wonder if he did. Hold on, look at this. John 13. A new, next verse, next slide. Mm, next slide. A new command I give you. Y'all are supposed to repeat that now. Love one another. 
Yeah, hold on, hold on. No, no, but I like the 10. I mean, there's 10. No, there's a new covenant with a new rule. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Just in case we didn't catch the first time, John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. What do you mean remain in your love? Sounds like a covenant language, doesn't it? Like I gotta do something to stay in your, what's going on, Jesus? He's not done. If you, next slide. Yep. If you keep my commands, hold on, doesn't God say that in Exodus? Yeah. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. You'll, you'll stay in this thing, this you do, I do type of situation. Just as I have kept my father's command and remain in his love. Sounds like covenant language, right? I have told you this so that your joy may be in you. Excuse me, my, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Hold on, Jesus, you're repeating yourself. You've already told us. I know because you didn't hear me the first time. You ignore it. Love each other as I have loved you. Because let's be honest, do we try to wiggle out of rules? I cannot, we talk about the commandments, we're like, I haven't killed anyone, I'm good. There's nine more. Try to wiggle out of love. You go, love's not that big of a deal. You weren't here for the sermon I preached on 1 Corinthians 13 about what love really is. Love is so much bigger. Love encompasses so much more. You see, John clarifies for us because you're like, hold on, all I gotta do is love people. No, John's like, no, wait, hold on. Let me help you out. 1 John 3.23, he says this, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Well, hold on, hold on, John, what do you mean? Well, hold on, who is his command referring to? The, to believe in the name of his son. Who's his command? Ah, the father. Hold on, I thought it was the 10 commandments. Pay attention. The new command is to believe in Jesus Christ because there's a new covenant. There's a new agreement. And in order to part of that agreement, you gotta have the blood of the lamb and that blood of the lamb is Jesus Christ. The agreement is that we believe in Jesus and the command is to love. You see, we can get so caught up in this love thing, we can forget about the Jesus thing. But we can never forget the gospel of John. If you, if you wanna write this down, go ahead. John chapter 20, verse 31. John says, here's the reason why I wrote the gospel. To believe in Jesus Christ. So we can't detach love from believing or believing from loving. The idea is that because we believe in Jesus Christ, we will love other people. But we've got to remember, we don't just love, we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And we love as he loves us. We can't detach them, they go hand in hand. Sounds very similar to that idea that Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Can you imagine that the gospel, New Testament writers are on the same page. Pretty convenient, isn't it? That's what Paul's trying to argue. Hey, guys, faith, believe in Jesus and love. Now, we, we aren't called just to love God and love others. Well, I know that's fun to say. 
We are called to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to love others. Because just about anybody can say they love God, but it's a completely different Christian thing to say that I believe in Jesus Christ and I love others. We're not gonna be afraid to be Christians. Is that okay, church? We believe in Jesus Christ. So what does God require? Well, everything we believe is based on the works of Jesus Christ. So what does God require from you today? To believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and to allow that faith to express itself through love. Believe and love. So let's review. Christians are not under the Ten Commandments, the law, because we are not under the Mosaic Covenant. Christians are under the New Covenant with a new command to believe in the whole person of Jesus and to love one another. I I promise you it's not easier. Now here's why this is important. If you've tuned out, if you're daydreaming, if you're doodling, I understand. I warned you ahead of time. But I need you to listen in because this is why this is so important. We gotta talk about this. We're about to get into some crazy stuff in the Old Testament. You're gonna read things and see things and it's gonna blow your mind. Like why would God tell people to do that kind of stuff? I need you to understand that God worked in different times with different people for different purposes. We can't read the 21st century into what happened 3,000 years ago. It's not our culture. It's not our time. We miss it. Life was different. Expectations was different. War was different. And so while we're going to read crazy things, you have to understand they're not going to be your instructions. Because our faith as Christians starts at the cross of Jesus Christ. Too many people get caught up in the Old Testament that they miss the beauty of Jesus Christ. Our faith starts at the cross. And we can go back and learn and understand how God has been pointing to it to the whole time. But our faith starts with Jesus, church. So while you're going to read crazy stuff and hear about what happened, that's not what we understand. Favorite quote I've heard, it might bother some of you at first, but I promise it's right. While the Bible is equally inspired, it's not equally applicable. While the Bible is equally inspired, it's not equally applicable or applicable. Yeah, applicable is what I was going for. See, not everything in the Bible applies to us. If you don't believe me, read some Levitical law, you'll go to jail. You, you can't do it. It's all inspired by God. But some things were written for certain people and not for all of us. So, are we required to keep the Ten Commandments? No. Because we aren't in a covenantal agreement with God to be blessed or cursed if we do. The developing nation of Israel was... That's what you're about to read about, how they pretty much never do it. If you put yourself under the law, you're pushing aside the grace of Jesus Christ. We receive now the blessings from God because of Jesus. The blessings you receive aren't based on your works. And I know we struggle with that. We want to do good things Mm -mm. our 
relationship with God is based on the finished works of Jesus Christ. Jesus has fulfilled the law. He met all the requirements. He took care of it for us. Grace is a good thing, right? When we, when we talk about grace, it should excite you. However, this is the part you're waiting to hear. It's, it's in here. However, can we use the Ten Commandments as a moral compass? Absolutely. Go for it. In fact, I don't know one of the Ten Commandments that can't be applied to us. Well, except the Sabbath thing. You know Sabbath wasn't Sunday, right? I think about half Christians know this. Sabbath was what day? Saturday. So you all break that one anyways. You just need to know that. Because we believe there's a new covenant. We worship on Sundays, which is against, you know, actually technically the Ten Commandments. We're not under those. So what I need you to know, though, is while you can use them as a moral compass, I'm far less concerned if you follow the Ten Commandments and far more concerned if you follow the Sermon on the Mount. Watch what Jesus does there. Read the Ten Commandments and start reading Matthew 5. Jesus takes every last one of them and makes them easier or harder? You don't know because you haven't read it. A whole lot harder. After reading what Jesus says, you'll go, you know what? I like Ten Commandments way better. But the New Testament is explaining to us what it looks like to be a Christian. They're working out for us what it looks like to follow God and what it looks like to be holy. So while we're reading and understanding the Old Testament, remember, it's not for us. It points us to Jesus. You'll understand Jesus. But get in your New Testament. Read your Bible. There's some good stuff in there. And so, your command, church. Well, John sums it up, I think, the absolute best. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. As Paul says, the only thing after all that counts is what? Faith expressing itself through love. And I know there's something inside each and every one of us that struggles with the grace of God. But don't miss it. Don't try to earn your own way to heaven. We are saved by the grace and the works of Jesus Christ. Now, I know this was a lot of information I know it was a lot of stuff. Before you start emailing me, please go back and listen to the sermon. I promise you it's theologically correct. You just may have never been taught before. But as Christians, we believe in Jesus and we believe we're under what's called grace. Where it's about what Christ has done at our, on our behalf. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, as we read the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Bible, and we see how you worked with them and how you were developing a nation, so one day the Savior would come into a world, we're just amazed at the love and the forgiveness and the grace you now show us through Jesus Christ. Father, we all know that we should be about morality. We all know that we should live holy lives. But Lord, let us never forget we receive the blessings because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here, even, even Christians who, who believe in Jesus, I pray that those who are still trying to earn their way, 
They're still trying to put themselves back under the law to justify, to prove why they're good. God, I pray that they would repent from that. That they would not put aside the grace of Jesus, but they would live in the grace of Jesus. And Lord, I pray. And I ask that as your people, instead of trying to earn your favor, will work and serve you out of thankfulness and out of gratitude. That because of the cross, we serve you. Because of the cross, we live holy lives. I pray that we all understand that our conviction to live holy and godly lives is because out of our deep gratitude for what you've done. Not out of trying to get something from you. Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone who hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ that maybe today they'll change that. They'll understand that grace is the covenant Jesus has brought to us. That we can be right with you, we can know you through that. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.